0: Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, hey, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. And thanks for being here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We are sincerely Glad that you're here, and we acknowledge that you could be anywhere, and you chose to be here. So for that, we are very thankful, and if you're a part of the Three Creeks family, welcome back. We are in week three of a series that we are calling Heroes You Haven't Heard Of, and uh, I want to test your cultural and historical knowledge here for a minute. I googled this week the greatest nicknames of all time. So this is a quiz. I want to see how many you can get. I think, I think some of them are easy. Uh, for me, some of them are hard. Let's see how we do collectively as a church. I will tell you uh, the nickname, and then you tell me who it actually was. Uh, what is the real name of The Rock? Dwayne Johnson. That guy. Dwayne Johnson. Correct. One for one. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, number two, this is a little bit more challenging, maybe for some of you. Who is the mailman? Carl Malone, this is correct, two for two. Uh, the great Bambino. Babe Ruth, Babe, Ruth. Babe Ruth. I figured you might get that one. This one was tougher for me. I had to kind of, you know, branch out a little bit and learn something new. Who is, who is the boss? Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. That, yeah, I know. I apologize publicly. Bruce Springsteen apparently is the boss. I was, I was, you know, looking through these lists, like the greatest nicknames of all time, King James, the answer, the round mound of rebound. John Cena. (laughs) (laughs) Queen B, J Lo, the queen of soul, the king of the blues, the king of pop, the king of rock and roll, the golden state, the sunshine state, the aloha state, the windy city, the big apple, Sin City, JFK, W, Teddy. These are all nicknames of people or events or places that you and I quickly, most of those, I think you probably could get them because they're names that we associate with a person or an event. It's not actually their given name, but it's even more familiar sometimes than their actual name. Today, there's a man in the Bible that I want to tell you about, and you know him by his nickname. His given name was Joseph. And I'm not talking about Joseph and the coat of many colors and Egypt and that story in the Book of Genesis. I'm not talking about Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, the husband of Mary, the carpenter. I'm not talking about that Joseph. I'm talking about another Joseph, and I think you may have heard of him, but I don't think you probably know very much about him. There's there's another Joseph in Acts chapter four, and he's a Levite from the island of Cyprus and he's a leader in the church and the nickname that everybody gave him was Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't his real name. It was his nickname. And I asked a few people this week, people that have been going to church for a while, what do you know about Barnabas? And they go, "Ah, I know about him but I don't know much about him. Wasn't Wasn't he Paul's friend? Didn't he go around with Paul? Wasn't he on the The missionary team that went around? the answer to that is yes. And I said, what more do you know about Barnabas? And and there just wasn't much more to it. And if I'm being totally honest, I didn't know much more about him. And in studying through this, I just got so excited to tell you about this guy named Barnabas. I want to say what I said after the first week too, though, is that This series is called Heroes You Haven't Heard Of, and and in some ways, I kind of come into these messages going, man, I just want everybody to know about Barnabas. And if Barnabas heard that, he would think that I was crazy. He would say, please don't share that message. This message isn't about me. Tell everybody about what God did through me. Tell them about the character of God. And if you want to include my name as an example of that, well, then that's okay. But don't make this message about Barnabas. Make it about God. Make it about what God did in sending Jesus. So, so we're going to try to do that. But we're going to learn a lot about Barnabas and how much Barnabas looked like Jesus. I'm going to tell you some stories. Maybe there are stories you've heard before, but you don't even realize that Barnabas played a key role in some of these stories. Just fascinating stuff. Let's go to the book of Acts. We're going to hop around a bunch of times. Uh, Because it feels, I don't know, it feels a little dark in here right now. Maybe we'll we'll throw up all the verses on the screen so that you can see what I'm reading. We're going to start in Acts chapter 11. But before we go to chapter 11, let me just make sure that everybody understands what happens in chapters 1 through 10. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. He comes back from the dead and then he ascends into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, all of the disciples, the believers, they're given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them, and the church starts, and they start telling people about what Jesus did, and then it's just like crazy, where thousands and thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus, but especially around Jerusalem, which is kind of like Christian headquarters at the time. It's Jesus Central. This is where most of the people are that know Jesus. This is where they're at, and so as Acts goes on from chapters three through 28, essentially, it's the story of this news about Jesus going all over the known world at the time. So we pick it up in 11 and it, we pick it up in a city called Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. This is what happened because some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. That's not a Jew preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus And the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So this new church, people that aren't Jews are putting their faith in Jesus. This is pretty radical. When the church at Jerusalem, that's headquarters, heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy He encouraged the believers to stay true to the word. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Clearly, Barnabas is a leader in this church in Jerusalem. He's really excited about people coming to know who Jesus is. He encourages the believers. And that's not surprising because the nickname that they gave him was Barnabas. And that literally means son of encouragement. I imagine they were looking around each other going, man, there's too many Josephs around here. We can't keep all the Josephs straight. So let's give him a nickname. What is the most defining characteristic about him? He just is the wind in people's sails. He is an encourager. Barnabas understands that encouragement is a gift that essentially costs the giver nothing. And he just shells out encouragement. He breathes life into people. Let's just call him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. If he was in our church and we were using English language, we would call him Mr. Encouragement. That's who Barnabas is. And it says in verse 24, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Between Acts chapter 9 and 14, right in the middle of the book, there's a bunch of random, amazing, tied-together stories about Barnabas. And I'm going to kind of hop around from story to story and try to paint this picture of who this Barnabas guy was. And uh, as, as we do that, I'd like to highlight four things about Barnabas, four things that he imitated Christ in, in who we might choose to imitate Barnabas and therefore Christ in as well. So four different things. In, in Acts 4, this is the first time we read about this guy. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, this is a story about the first church ever in, Jer- in Jerusalem at headquarters. I've read this a couple times here at Three Creeks, even recently, so I don't think this story will be out of nowhere. I think maybe you'll pick it up. This is that first church that really cared about each other. This is what it says. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And then this is a verse we talked about a couple weeks ago. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them, and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. So apparently there's, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of different people who either have a house or have land, and they go and they sell it, and they give the money to the church, and they highlight just one person. They want to tell, make sure that you know one story. For instance, there was Joseph, the, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus, He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Barnabas owns a field, apparently. Not everybody owns a field. That's rich people stuff. Barnabas owns a field and says, I like what's going on with this church. And so he goes and he sells the field, and he takes all of the money, all of the money, and gives it to the church. Think about this, too. This is a startup religion. If Barnabas was a Levite, which is what it says... That means that all of his friends think that Barnabas is absolutely nuts. This is a a startup religion that is deemed deemed out of bounds by all of his buddies. And Barnabas says, I believe in this thing. I'm giving all my money to this thing. And his friends are going, Barnabas, don't invest in that. Invest your money. Keep your land. The real estate, it's going up. Barnabas, you've seen gas prices. You can't give it up like that. Barnabas, invest. Don't give it away like that. Keep in mind, at the time when he did this, the church is absolutely exploding. It says in Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, right in this window, that on this day, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. On this day, 2,000 people were baptized. Thousands and thousands of people. And it, it led me to imagine, what would it be like if at church at the creek, on Labor Day weekend, which is kind of a tradition around here, We go down to the creek at Creekside. We have church. We have baptisms. What would it be like if 3,000 people wanted to be baptized down there? I mean, logistically, I'm talking about like the number of towels that we would need to purchase for 3,000 baptisms. How long it would take. We might revert back to single immersion if we'd had 3,000 people. Nobody, like, like nobody could hear the sound system. We're talking about 3,000 people. Everybody's, we can't avoid the area where all the ducks and the geese poop. Like everybody, we got to stand there too. 3,000 people. The problems that come with 3,000 people, the parking issues that come with 3,000 people. And then let's just imagine they all want to come here the next week. There's 600 chairs in here. What are we going to do? Have six services? What are we going to do with kids? So, so I'm just painting the picture of the logistical nightmare of having 3,000 new Christians that want to be baptized. Stuff like that. I mean, if, if that actually happened, we would have to have some meeting, vision night, where we go, holy smokes, what are we going to do with all of these people? We need to buy land. We need to build a building. We need to figure out what we're going to do logistically. And that You need money to do a lot of that stuff, and Barnabas looks at this church that's exploding at the time. He goes, I've got this land that's just sitting here. I see this church that's exploding, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell what is sitting there and give it to the church because I like what's going on. I'm all in on the way, on this movement, on this, this new startup religion that is true, that is based on the resurrection of Jesus. Barnabas gives it all. The first thing that I want you to see about Barnabas is that he was radically, radically generous to his church. He was, he, he was above and beyond generous to his church, but not just with money. Let me tell you this other story about Barnabas. He it wasn't, it wasn't just generous with his money and his stuff. He was really generous with his time. There's a story in Acts 11. Remember, I told you about this when I introduced him to you, is that when the Christians in Jerusalem heard that 300 miles north, there were these new Christians in Antioch, and they're going, wait a minute, Gentiles are now Christians? Is this even possible? So they send Barnabas up to the north to go check it out. You guys, it's 300 miles. And a a fit person might be able to make it 20 miles a day, walking next to a donkey, camping outside, for at least 15 days in a row, if my math is correct. And I imagine there's a day where you don't go 20 miles. So I'm thinking this is like a three-week journey. Don- next to a donkey, camping outside, just to go check in. I-, I, am, I am going to take an 11-hour road trip in like two weeks, and I'm already dreading it. 11 hours. There's a Chick-fil-A every 90 miles. <laughs> I have power windows, power doors... And my Honda Odyssey comes with power steering. I don't know if you've heard about that. I mean, I'm living the life. I've got air conditioning. And I'm staying in my friend's 3,000-square-foot house halfway down. And I'm just going, oh, that's just going to be brutal. But I guess once a year I'll do it. And Barnabas takes a three-week next-to-a-donkey-walking camping trip to go check it out. And then he gets there. Listen, he gets there, and it says, During this time... Some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was going to come upon the entire Roman world, and this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So there is a real famine. So the believers in Antioch, who are not experiencing this famine, decide to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. That's Jerusalem everyone giving as much as they could, they did this. And who do they entrust their gifts to? Your boy, Barnabas and Saul. And they take it to the elders of the church. And a chapter later, it says that they fulfilled the mission of taking all of this stuff, all of this food, leading the caravan three weeks, four weeks. I don't know how long it took all the way down. He was radically generous to his church with his energy and his time and his money. It's just all that really mattered to Barnabas. You couldn't point at Barnabas and say, that guy cares mostly about himself. You point at him and go, that guy just cares so much about the church. He just gives so much of himself. I just think he was radically generous to the church, and I think we'd be well-served to consider being like that. Here's another amazing, fascinating story about Barnabas that you may have heard before, but you, you might have never known that Barnabas played a key role in this. As the church grows and grows in the book of Acts, there are a number of former Jews. Remember, Jew, Jerusalem, that's mostly Jews. That's Christian headquarters. And when they hear that people in other cities and other places, Gentile people are, are putting their faith in Jesus, the Jews in Jerusalem make up a rule that if you're an adult male, and you choose to put your faith in Jesus, that you have to be circumcised. And uh, I'm just trying to picture it happening, where they say, show of hands, who wants to go to heaven? And all the guys, it's like, well, this is what it's going to take. And they go, ooh, <laughs> that seems like a rule I don't really want to follow. And look at Acts 15, verse 2. This is what Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Disagree with them, arguing vehemently. And I highlighted that word because I was so excited to say it, vehemently. And they disagree so much with these people who are trying to impose these old rules on them. That they actually travel back to Jerusalem for a showdown. Paul and Barnabas come back to protect the genitals, I mean the Gentiles, from, <laughs> from these... <laughs> from, start the recording now. All right. <laughs> protect these guys. And this is what they say. <laughs> this is what Barnabas says. God, he knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepted Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just like he did to us, just like he did to the Jews. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. There's nothing physical that needs to happen or change. God cleans hearts. So why now are you challenging God... By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. Why are you trying to put these rules, these religious requirements? Why are you trying to put these rules on people? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So they just lay down the hammer. And that would have been a pretty hostile environment for Paul and Barnabas to walk into. They're walking into like the, the, the leaders of the church who are all saying that these rules need to be followed. They're going, no way, man. We heard what Jesus said. It is by grace that people are saved, not by some act, not, not by some righteous religious requirement thing. It's not that. It's by grace. It's how we're all saved. And that would have been hostile. And they would have been nervous walking in and saying that to these people. But number, verse 12, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Do you know where all of these, they, they come back and they tell these stories. Listen to what happened in this place. Listen to what happened over here. Listen to these wonders, these miraculous things that have happened. Do you know, have any idea how many places Paul and Barnabas had just gone to To tell people about Jesus. I just, this is a quick look through. A seaport called Cilicia, the island of Cyprus, a town called Salamis. They went to Paphos and Pamphylia, and they were in Perga, and Antioch of Pisidia, and another Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and Antioch of Syria. Those are places that are hostile in a very different way. Isn't that true in our own experience that sometimes living for, for Christ and speaking the truth, sometimes it can be hostile to do it in a church. Sometimes it, sometimes it can be hostile to say something that is true to the people that think they're following God really well. That can be hostile. Sometimes I feel that a little bit here. And it, is it not true that it also can be hostile to go and speak the truth in a place that has no, has no interest In following Jesus at all. And you see Barnabas in both of these courageously shares his faith in Jesus. He courageously shares his faith in Jesus. I just want to read you what Barnabas did during this time, and I just think it says it better than I can, so maybe I'll just read the whole thing. In verse 21 of, uh, I think it's chapter 14, is that right? Go to the next one real quick, Nina. Yeah, so go back so, verse twenty-one of chapter fourteen in Acts. This is a, just a story about Barnabas. After preaching the good news in Derby, making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in their faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. As they're going on this trip, they are inciting mobs. They, they, they discover plans that people are planning to stone them in the morning and they sneak out of towns at night. In one city in particular, they stone Paul and drag him out of the city and they think that he is physically dead and so they just leave him for the wolves. And somehow he is not dead. I imagine maybe Barnabas was there helping him come back to life. I mean, this is hostile. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in all these churches with prayer and fasting, they turned, to the elders. they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia and Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga, went down to Italia. Finally, this doesn't make any sense to you really, all these names, but basically imagine the whole known world or flip to the back of your Bible and look at a map. It's like these are all those cities that are all over the place. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where the journey had begun, The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Barnabas courageously shared his faith in Jesus, and it was all about faith in Jesus. No matter how hostile the environment was, whether he was going into a place that was living a lifestyle that was contradictory to Jesus, that was hostile in its own way. Or he'd walk into another place where their theology was jacked up, and that was hostile in its own way. And he had to look at people that were following God and saying, we're not doing it exactly how God wants us to do it. And Barnabas just courageously Shared his faith. So let me ask you this question. I'm I'm stepping into potentially some hostile territory here. I hope that you'll forgive me if I offend you. Seriously, when is the last time that you shared your faith with someone who does not know Jesus? Or someone who has decided to go another way? When's the last time that you... I'm not asking about the person next to you. I'm not asking about anybody else in the room. I'm asking about you. When is the last time that you, if you are a Christian, shared your faith with somebody else? And then the follow up question is simply Is that okay? Whatever your answer was. Is that okay? I I went to the point of imagining having a conversation with Paul or Barnabas. And and they asked me that question. Hey, Joel, when's the last time you shared your faith with someone? And I I would say something like, well, it's just not easy right now. It's not, it's just not something that comes real natural for me. And it's, it's just not easy. And I imagine Paul and Barnabas, if they just kind of, Teleported to right now and they didn't know the world that we were living in and, and and what was going on, they would say, Oh, you know, we get it. Sharing your faith is challenging. What are what are they gonna do? Are they threatening to beat you up? I say, no, no, they're not, nobody's really threatening to beat me up. Uh, oh, geez, are they are they gonna stone you? <laughs> no. Paul Barnabas, they're not gonna stone me if I try to share my faith. Wow. Are they? Is it lions that they're threatening you with? Is it the guillotine that they're threatening to put you in if you speak up about Jesus? And my answer to that would be, no, there's no lions. There's no guillotine. It's just, I'm just a little uncomfortable. It's just a little awkward. And I don't really know if I'm going to have all the answers. And that's why I'm not sharing my faith. And I just imagine these guys going, wait, what? I can remember a, a, a Sunday when our church first was getting off the ground. It was maybe six or nine months in, and we were, we were having a lot of people come to our church at the time, and we were having a lot of new people come, and we are having people put their faith in Jesus, and, and uh, I remember turning the lights on in the Goshen Lane Gymnasium, and I asked people, I said, I'm going to ask how you got here. So by show of hands raise your hand if you got here because of a Google ad or you found us on the internet. And two people, Craig and Gretchen Scheimer, raised their hands. They were, they were in the back over by the soundboard. I remember it, two people. And I said, to, I said, okay, that's fine. Now raise your hand if somebody invited you personally to be here. And every single other hand went in the air. And I was so so proud in that moment, because I think that's how it's supposed to be. And recently, I'm just being honest, recently we've had some people coming into our church, and I say, how did you hear about us? How did you find out about us? And it's Google, and it's Facebook, and it's website searches, and I'm like, I guess on one hand, I'm kind of happy that stuff's working, but geez, are we inviting people into the message of the gospel and what we're celebrating here every single Sunday morning? So, so maybe if, if, if question one was hard, when's the last time that you shared your faith with someone else? And then maybe, maybe the easier one, maybe the, maybe the step to that is like, when's the last time that you personally went out of your way to go and invite someone to church on a Sunday morning? Maybe that's just a start when's the last time that you actually did that? I'm just being honest. It just feels like it's been a while for a lot of us. And I don't think that's okay. Because not everybody that Barnabas invited said yes. And not everybody that he shared his faith with said okay. And not everybody that he prayed with put their faith in Jesus in the moment. That's not how it went for Barnabas. But everybody that Barnabas was encountering along the way The the excuse was not, well, Barnabas didn't tell me about it. Well, Barnabas didn't invite me. Well, Barnabas just chose to kind of play it safe. Barnabas courageously shared his faith everywhere that he went, no matter what it took, his life. He risked his life. And I think it's worth risking a little awkwardness or risking a little rejection. I just think that we as a church need to get going in this a little bit. I I think we've cooled it down. I think COVID cooled us down. And on the way back up, part of that means that we're going to have to be a little bit more bold and be like Barnabas and share our faith and invite people to church and say, this has changed my life. Here's the third one. Barnabas, this is the part of the story that actually surprised me the most. I knew some of the other stuff, this stuff, this part of it, I didn't know it. Barnabas was remarkably humble. When I ask you who is the hero of the book of Acts, you'd probably say Paul, right? I mean, he's the guy who's mentioned the most, basically starting in chapter 8 all the way to the end. It's like Paul's missionary journey. You turn to the back of your Bible, maybe some of it in your Bibles, there's a little colorful map, three big lines drawn in different colors all over. It's titled Paul's Missionary Journeys. Paul goes on to write 12 or 13 of the books of the New Testament. Paul's the first missionary, the founder of the church. Paul's the man. And don't get me wrong, Paul is the man. And God used him in unbelievable ways. However, I think, based on what I'm about to show you, that Paul might have quit if it wasn't for Barnabas. That Paul may never have even gotten started if it wasn't for Barnabas. This is what happens in Acts chapter 9 when saul i got to give you a 30 second background here so saul is his old name paul is going to be his new name it's the name that god gives him i guess it's kind of a nickname too it's the name that god gives him after he becomes a christian and if you remember the background of saul is that saul is this righteous leader pharisee who is persecuting christians imprisoning them and helping to kill Christians. And then he has this unbelievable moment where God comes into his life and speaks to him. And Paul, Saul, has this unbelievable conversion. He gives his life to Jesus. And then he's going to preach the gospel with the same passion that he was preaching against the gospel for the first 30-ish years of his life. So, so that's the background. When Saul, Paul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. But as you can imagine, they were all afraid of him because they thought he was a spy. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Remember, Barnabas is this leader of the church, and so Barnabas is older than than Saul, Paul. He's older. He's been around a while. He knows, he knows the theology of it all. And he's rich. Remember, he had a field. I guess he might not be rich anymore because he gave all the money away, but he was. He's an influential figure in the church. And when Saul comes into town and says, hey, I'm a Christian now, they go, no, you're not. You're just trying to be a spy so you can figure out who the Christians are so you can imprison us and kill us. And so they hide from him and Barnabas Barnabas is the guy who goes I see something in this young man and he brings him in and, and the church apparently Barnabas had enough of a good reputation that they take his word for it they take Barnabas's word for it and then after all this happens Paul's off to the races but if you read Acts chapter 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 this is what happens at the beginning, it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And over the course of time, it starts being listed as Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And so what you see actually happens is that out of the gate, Barnabas is the leader. He's the speaker. He's the preacher. He's the guy with the microphone. And over the course of time, he identifies in Paul that, man, Paul he is the leader for the future. And it's time for me to give over the microphone to this guy. And he, 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 Barnabas ends up being the shoulders that Paul stands on. And so, yes, Paul, in some ways, is this hero of the book of Acts, but he's nothing without Barnabas being his advocate, his friend, his fan. Barnabas gets out of the way and says, I see something in this young person. It's his turn now. And he propels and cheers Paul on for the rest of his life. That's amazing. And I think about that, and I think about some of my heroes, like my dad and Dave Featherland and Mark Artrip and these other people who have... They have the microphone and they have the clout and they have the reputation. They've said, hey, Joel, why don't you take a shot at this? Why, why don't you take a shot? And I go, man, that is exactly what Barnabas did for Paul. And I hope that one day, right now even, in some ways, I hope that I can just be the same way and see things in young people and say, hey, it's your turn now. I, I do not, I, I want to age well. I do not need to be in charge until I'm really old. I want to pass the baton like Barnabas did and I wonder if there's some ways in your life that you could do that too. Here's the last one. Barnabas was a really good friend. He was a great friend to Paul. He was with him through it all. He was his advocate. He cheered him on. He encouraged him. I imagine they go to Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and all these cities and they get back to their campsite and Paul's like, do you honestly think we can do this for one more day? And Barnabas looks at him and says, "You got this, man. I'm here with you all the way." Barnabas ends up being this encouraging friend to Paul. He got in fights with Paul, like they would. They were boys, like they were. They were in the alley together. Like Barnabas had Paul's back, and then eventually, because they are human beings with real opinions, and this is one of the reasons I love the Bible. You, you know that it's true because it's not all just fairy tale stuff, like amazing, warm stuff. It it tells you the whole truth. There's this story in in, uh, Acts chapter 15. After some time, check this out. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how everybody's doing. Let's go back. Let's take a tour of the churches. Let's go see everybody's doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, younger guy. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, and did not continue with them in their work. That's how hard it was. Even strong Christians said, I'm out of here. John Mark deserted them. And the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, look at verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas. Excuse me, that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas as he left, and the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So Paul and Barnabas actually get in a fight. They have such strong opinions about what they're supposed to do, that they, and they cannot get on the same page, and they disagree, and they go their separate ways, and you go, well, wait a minute. I thought it said that he was a really great friend. Well, in the book of Colossians and in 1 Corinthians... And in 2 Timothy, Paul, in writing these letters, asks, or or he he asks for John Mark to be able to come and visit him. And he talks about Barnabas, and he, he paints this picture at the end of his letters that they have all made up that they have reconciled and the story isn't recorded in the Bible, but based on the end of Paul's letters, it's true that these guys, even though they disagreed so much that they went their separate ways, Barnabas or Paul, I'm not sure who initiated it first, but both of them came to the middle and they reconciled. And at the end of their life, they said, I love you and I needed you and we did it. Barnabas was a, was a great friend that didn't let being right and didn't let pride stand in the way of a friendship that was really good for a long time have you ever had one of those you ever had a friendship that was really good for a while and then something came between you and it just got broken and there's just been silence did you know that if you're a Christian it's okay that that happened Christians need time to cool off too Christians are allowed to have strong opinions too And in the broken world that we live in, it's just reality that there's potentially going to be some some head-butting even between you and another Christian. It's possible. But what you see in this story is that these guys don't let it stay that way. When they get apart from each other, they say, we're better together. And I'm not sure who leaned in first, but whoever did lean in first, it was reciprocated apparently. And these guys ended their lives on the same page as brothers in Christ. And I just wonder, I don't, I don't know if that applies to every person in the room, but if that is you and there is a friendship that is broken and it does need one person to come to the middle first and it does need one person to say sorry first and it, says it does need one person to say, can we get coffee first? I just wonder if that's supposed to be you because that's what a great friend would do. Barnabas was radically generous to the church, he courageously shared his faith, he was remarkably humble, and he was a really good friend. And in all four of those ways, Barnabas puts Jesus on display. Remember, Jesus is in heaven when this is going on. This is just in the first couple years after Jesus left. And Barnabas is this visual representation of generosity. Jesus was so generous, he gave us his whole life. He gave us his whole life. He was so courageous that he went to the cross, that he endured hostile environments for the truth. Jesus was remarkably humble. He gave up a crown so that he could wear a diaper. The most humble act in the history of humanity. Jesus is the one that did it. And Jesus was a really good friend. He was a really good friend Barnabas in all these ways if, if, I were to, if I were here this morning and being like guys you gotta be like Barnabas, Barnabas would raise his hand he goes no, you guys, you gotta be like Jesus, I was just trying to be like Jesus don't try to be like me, be like Jesus so four closing questions for you, I, I, I'm imagining on a message like this that it feels like four very scattered points, I think it's a stretch to say all four hit you but maybe one does, maybe two do Four questions. Does God want you to be like Barnabas and be a little bit more radically generous to your church, whether it be financially or with your time or your energy? You've been sitting on the sidelines for a little bit. You've been saying, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but you haven't yet? Is is this example of Barnabas one that God wanted you to hear to prompt you to step into that and be be radically generous to your church? does God want you to courageously share your faith with somebody? A lot of times when I ask that question to people, when's the last time you shared your faith with someone? Immediately one person comes to that person's mind. Like an actual person, their name comes to mind. And if that was the case for you, I would propose that is the spirit of God putting that person on your mind as I ask that question. Is this God nudging you to share your faith? Number three, Barnabas was remarkably humble. He, he got out of the way so that somebody else could shine. Kind of like our man, Andy Stone, who said, Mary Beth, you go to church. And then he missed his video. <laughs> Is there a way in which God wants you to be remarkably humble for your spouse, for someone that works under you, for your children? where you begin to take a little bit less of the spotlight and give it over to somebody else? Is there, is, there, is there a way that God wants you to do that? And last, is there a way that God wants you to be a really good friend? The, the, you know, the, in fights, the person that says sorry wins, right? The person that says sorry first wins. And so, is there a friendship that could be reconciled because you make the first move? Can we get lunch? Is that is that what God wants to nudge you towards? Which, which one of those four jumps out? Our prayer team is going to be in the back as we sing this last song. And I just... I just wonder if... if uh, we're not going to be even in church next week here on Sunday morning. And so and we're going to have two weeks apart. It, wouldn't it be awesome... If in the next two weeks, if God is prompting us to take one of these steps, if we would take it, and I just think maybe the best way to get that going would be to pray with somebody and just to invite somebody else into it and go back there and say, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Will you pray for me as I try to do that? Because none of this stuff's easy to be generous, to be humble, to be courageous, to be a good friend. None of this stuff's easy. We're going to need God's help to pull this off. So I wonder if going back there and praying with somebody would be step one in your big step of obedience and looking at Bartimaeus and saying, I want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, wherever people are at, whichever one of these four that hits, I pray that we wouldn't be able to shake it, that you wouldn't let us forget about it, If anybody tries to drive home and have lunch, I pray that this would dominate their mind. By the power of your spirit, God, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts to do what you want us to do. I pray that we would not have this mentality of if I do that, what will I miss out on? But God, I pray that you would help us to think of it as if I don't do this, what will I miss out on? Because on the other end of obedience, God, I believe that there is freedom and joy and life to the full. I believe that is found in you, not in me trying to figure things out on my own. And so I pray for the person in here who's supposed to be generous, that they will do it. And for the person here that's supposed to be courageous in a hostile environment, I pray they will take the step. For the person in here who's supposed to be humble and get out of the way and lift somebody else up, I pray they will do it. And for the person here who has a broken friendship and needs to be the one who steps, steps in and says, I'm sorry, can we reconcile? I pray, Father, that you would help them to do that. None of this is easy. We really need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.